Well, please open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 14. If you didn't bring your Bible to the computer, just press pause and go, no, don't do that. That's just a bit of streaming humour. So, uh, yeah, grab your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 14. Sandy's going to be uh, hopping up at various points throughout this talk to read uh, from Matthew chapter 14. Now, from time to time, things uh, pop up in a preacher's week that causes them to change plans for preaching. I think it's safe to say that this week's been one of those weeks. Uh, I'm part of a great Bible study group. We meet on Tuesday mornings. We are led by uh, Phil Stevens, a member of our 10am service, and we sit down at Cars Park Cafe uh, every Tuesday morning. We order the same drinks each week. Uh, we must look slightly strange to the other customers because we sit there with our big black Bibles open and occasionally we will nod our, close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. And, uh, but this week we were looking at Matthew chapter 14 and as I was in Bible study with these guys, uh, I realised what an apt passage this would be for us to look at as we're in the midst of these rather strange days. Now... We must remember, firstly, that these days are not really as unique and as strange as you might think if you've been alive long enough or know people who've been alive long enough to remember similar, even more dramatic days than these. The Great Depression of the 1920s, World War II, presented Australians with fears and, and social breakdown that were at least as disruptive as this current virus situation. Uh, not to mention people who've come from countries and backgrounds and situations uh, that are war-torn. And yet, I think it's the lifetime of relative peace and prosperity that I have known that perhaps makes us a little bit unable to deal with the situation that we're facing. Uh, we just aren't used to being uncertain about the future. We're not used to being unable to do what we want to do when we want to do it and get what we want when we want it. And so to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 contains three distinct scenes and I think we can identify each of these scenes as belonging to or, or teaching us about one of three different kingdoms. Scene one tells us about the kingdom of self. Scene two presents us with the kingdom of God and scene three, the kingdom of fear. So let's read about the first of these from Matthew chapter 14 verses 1 to 12. Um, as Gary said, the first reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. But John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. 
John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now a bit of historical background. Uh, Herod mentioned there, his name was Herod Antipas. He was part of a a Jewish ruling family uh, who were put in charge of uh, running Judea under Roman authority. They'd uh, been given this responsibility and all the glory that went with it in return for some faithful and effective service of the Roman Empire. They'd kept uh, at bay various challenges to Roman authority. And like his father, who was called Herod the Great, Herod Antipas had to keep the Romans happy on one hand, but also try to do what he could not to displease the local population too much, his fellow Jews. Uh, But, of course, they despised him uh, because of all that his family had done uh, to keep their grip on power and the wealth that flowed down to the Herod family from the Roman Empire, uh, especially from Caesar Augustus. So Herod was a guy who was religiously and politically compromised. And the Herodian rulers were called the king of the Jews at, from various times uh, during, uh, by the Roman Empire. And like his father, uh, who was the ruler when Jesus was born, Herod the Great, uh, the one who ordered the slaughter of any baby born around the time of the birth of Jesus for fear that one of them would be called the king of the Jews, Herod Antipas ruled for himself. Uh, his kingdom of self was based on no small amount of cleverness and hard work, but also on cunning and political manoeuvring and even murder. He'd had uh, John the Baptist, uh, the cousin of Jesus, arrested and, as we read, killed. So when he hears about Jesus doing these miraculous signs, he thinks, I think because of his guilt, racked with guilt, he thinks uh, John has come back from the dead. He's come back to haunt me. Herod ruled for himself. John had been put in prison by Herod after calling Herod out publicly because of his unlawful marriage to his dead brother's wife. He divorced his wife so as to marry his brother's wife. John said publicly that Herod was out of step with God. He had called him on and said this was not a proper marriage and perhaps a bit like a mafia boss might. Um, Herod's life and his shady dealings led him to see that this was a pesky problem. John was a problem and he had to be dealt with. But he couldn't kill John. He was too popular. The people considered him a prophet. So he just let him sweat it out in prison for a while. And then, of course, the story as we have it in Matthew 14, Herod's wife Herodias, she clearly wouldn't have taken well to being called an illegitimate wife. So at a dinner party after her daughter does this dance for the guests... Uh, her uh, Herodias's husband, Herod, makes a silly vow to give her whatever she wants and so the mother intervenes and says, bring us the head of John the Baptist. That's the kingdom of self in operation. Anyone who stands in its way will pay the price. Now I guess if it's been interesting to see a little bit of the kingdom of self come to the fore in some of the behaviours that have been on display in recent days. Uh, The kingdom of self will be tempted to grab whatever supplies I need, uh, even when I'm told that this will actually make life difficult for others. But even if you haven't stockpiled goods, uh, even if you haven't been involved in a supermarket punch-up, which I hope you haven't, when we're honest, 
I think we, we can all admit that when we're faced with the kind of restrictions on our daily lives that we're facing at the moment, when we're facing the kind of pressures that we're currently under, our capacity for patience, our ability to care for and consider others, wears pretty thin, doesn't it? The kingdom of self is something that's not far from each one of us. Now, I think Matthew has put this story about Herod and John the Baptist together with the story that happens next of Jesus feeding the multitudes for a very clear and unmistakable contrast. The self-serving kingdom of self, which grabs for every little precious bit of power, being contrasted here with what we see about the kingdom of God. A kingdom which in this story shows itself to be for the good of all and shows itself to have an abundance of what is needed. Sandy will take up the next section. The next Bible reading is Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So notice how Jesus operates. He does what is good for others. His kingdom isn't a kingdom of self. Filled with grief at the news of the death, the murder of his cousin, he seeks time alone with his heavenly father. And yet the crowds keep coming. And we're told he had compassion on them. He healed them, and we see that he fed them. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of life. And in the feeding of the crowd, we see that it's also a kingdom of abundance. Now, we humans do get naturally a a bit stressed when we're unsure where our next meal is coming from. Uh, Those of you who do the shopping for your family, uh, I think you would have picked up on some of the tension that is out there as you walk the aisles of the supermarket. Our normally brimming shelves are empty. Now, I'm no economist, but I imagine the buffer between us and starvation is a pretty thick one, even at this time. But when the shelves are empty, you can actually pick up, you actually hear, you see, people are getting really tense. And Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is actually a kingdom of plenty because it is the kingdom of God. God is able to make something out of nothing, unlike the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self is a kingdom of scarcity 
And in a kingdom of scarcity, you need to load up with everything you feel you might need. And you need to get as much as you can, because if you don't, somebody else will. And if you're the king in the kingdom of self, you need to take care of anyone who would try and snatch your crown from you. But if you're a Christian, you are in the kingdom of God. And that is a kingdom of plenty. And that means that you don't need to worry about whether or not your needs will be met. But if for some reason your needs are not met, well, we still don't need to worry because we are, a member, we are members of a kingdom that finds its infinite plenty, not in this life, but in the life to come. Now, the third kingdom we meet, and I hope I'm not bending the text to fit my heading here, but I think it is the kingdom of fear. Sandy, you'll read the next section. Uh, The next Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Normally, our city of Sydney is a confident and self-assured city. Sure, each day in our city, people die, uh, people hit unforeseen troubles, we have growing rates of, of mental illness, lots of struggles, but the way we present ourselves, the way we like to think of ourselves, is as a confident, young, healthy place. But I think that perception has really taken a big hit lately. I'm part of an exercise group that meets down at Jubilee Oval, I'm pleased to say. Uh, We're still doing what we do um, a couple of mornings a week, though with lower numbers and restrictions on some of the things we can do. But in that group, there are people I I talk to each day I go down there who are really filled with fear and anxiety about our current situation. Now, maybe it's because they have never been through anything like this or even heard of anything like this happening. That could be the case. Maybe it's uh, for some of them who have, don't have a faith to draw on uh, and give them some perspective. Maybe that's why they're finding it particularly hard. But in this third part of the story, Peter starts out with very confident faith. It's actually him that says to Jesus, oh, help me walk out to you on the water. Uh, in this very famous story. But it soon 
head south. Instead of looking at Jesus, the one to whom he is walking as he goes across the water, in whose power he is actually walking, he notices the wind buffeting his face. He feels the cold. Perhaps he's also overcome by the craziness of actually walking on water. And he begins to go under. And we all may have moments where we fear the current situation. Fear for our own health. Fear for our work, our financial circumstances. Fear for those we love. Just the sense of fear and upset that comes from things just being so strange and weird. We, might, we may find that we ourselves give in from time to time to the kingdom of fear. But we need to remember to keep our eyes on Jesus. For he says here that he is with us. And it is we who are under his care. Just as Peter calls out, we too can call out to him, Lord, save me. He is with us. He will reach out to us. He will keep us from going under. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his kingdom in which there is plenty. Thank you for his kingdom of which he is king and we are not. And we pray that you would continue to strengthen us in our faith in him that we might live for your glory and honour. And we ask it in his name. Amen. We're going to sing, How Great Thou Art.